Before we start today's show, I've got to apologize that when the recording started, I had my microphone set to the microphone on my laptop, not the lovely crisp podcast microphone that you can hear me speaking on now. So the sound quality in this episode will be impacted by that. Might be a bit more tinny. Hopefully you can put up with it, but please rest assured the audio quality here on this episode is not the standard audio quality that you get from this podcast. So apologies in advance for that. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't impact your enjoyment of the episode. And next time I will learn to put my correct microphone on before recording. So sit back, enjoy the episode and apologies in advance if the sound isn't as crisp and clear as normal. is Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, brought to you by footballindenmark.com. Welcome to episode eight of Danish Dynamite, and with the Superliga season paused for almost three months, I've decided to do something a bit special with this episode, and so I've brought in two of the brightest Superliga scouting and data minds to dissect the first half of the season through a very analytics lens. I'm going to introduce my special guest shortly, but I just wanted to say before we start, Thank you again for all the support um, from the people who've kindly become Patreons of the show at patreon.com forward slash football in Denmark to the people who I interact with on a regular basis on Twitter. It's a real pleasure to be watching this league with so many great people. And two of those people are on today's show. So I'm delighted to be joined by Bashir Ali and Max Graves. Lads, at the moment, the show is still new enough that every week so far we've had a new debutante, but this is the first time that there's a double debutante. So welcome both to the show. Bashir, if you could just talk a little bit about how you got into football analytics in the first place. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be on here. I mean, I've always been uh, interested in football and, and watching football has been part of my life pretty much for the entirety of it. But I'd say I got into the analytics side and the data side maybe maybe three, four years ago. Awesome. And Max, how did you get into, how did you get into kind of scouting and, uh, and analytics? What's your journey? So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. As um, Like Bashir said, I feel very privileged to be here. So thank you very much. I've loved all your works um, over the last couple of years. So yeah, my journey really started at the start of 2022, where I basically just took some PFSA scouting courses and then started doing some volunteer scouting for uh, Shrewsbury Town. And then a couple of months ago, I got a volunteer role for Hobro in the Danish First Division. And then I've recently moved on to Cambridge United doing some volunteer work for them. And I've just always been interested in the analytic side of football. Well, um, how this show is going to work is uh, we're going to split it into two parts. And in part one, we're going to talk a little bit about specific teams. So we're going to talk about some teams that have overachieved. And looking at the league table, you might be able to guess who those might be. And we're going to talk about one or two that have underachieved. And we're also going to be talking about a subject that is close to many people's hearts, which is pressing. So Bashir has done some some great work looking at pressing numbers and is going to share his findings there. And then in part two, we're going to pick out specific players, perhaps players that are maybe in, in certain cases going under the radar a little bit, or maybe their work is not quite as appreciated as it should be. And so we're just going to pull out some names and talk about how their season has looked so far through the numbers. So 
Max, I don't know if you want to kick things off by talking about some of the overachievers. And I, I think it comes as no surprise that it's two teams sitting first and second in the league. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to kick off with Viborg as a, they're the team that I follow. I was lucky enough to have gone to one of the games in, in 2016 when they played at Sonyuska. And it was, a, it was such a thrilling game. It was a nil-nil special. And that really, uh, that really grasped my um, love for the Danish Superliga. <laughs> If you can fall in love with a, a team or a league thanks to a nil-nil, then you know something is going right. So um, <laughs> shout out to Viborg. I know the certainly this season, you know, the, the experience of the fans and the stuff they're doing on the terraces as well as on the pitch has been really exemplary. So great team. And let's hear a little bit about why they're an overachiever this season. They've been on a 12-game unbeaten streak. They were really solid, I thought, against Brombu in their last game, a 2-0 win away from home. And they, um, they had a slightly rotated their squad as well with uh, Lauritsen and Ayembe starting in the back four, which just shows their, like, the strength and depth that they have in the squad. And I think they can put that down to Jesper Freber, who has just moved on to um, Anderlecht, unfortunately. But his, his work has, has been seen and I think he's been incredible at um, re- recruitment over the last few years. Bringing in players, often replacing players who have, who have been signed by, by bigger clubs, Christian Sorensen, Justin Lundway, players who, who, who you thought they, were, they would struggle without. But they seem to have just replaced them players who, who just fit in straight away and bring something else to the squad. And I've just been really impressed with the solidness at the back in goal. Lucas Lund Pedersen's just been great. I saw him against West Ham. Him and Anton Guy, I thought, were excellent. But they've really, really stepped on in the last few games. And yeah, I've just been really impressed with um, the squad in general. And Jacob Fries has really worked them hard. And I think, as Jeppe Grunning was saying with you a few weeks ago, uh, they're just controlling games now. And rather than just pressing really hard, they, they, they seem to have focused on a bit more controlled pressing. And I think that's really helped. And they look a really solid side. Bashir, have you noticed anything specific about the way they're setting up this season that is allowing them to take their game to teams rather than kind of be more pragmatic about how they set up? Yeah, I actually think if you watch them for the, the past couple of seasons, they've always had an interesting team on paper. They've had some really good individual players. And I think the one thing they've, they've been very successful with, particularly this season, is actually having those players gel well together and finding success with bringing the best individual quality out of those players. So I, I'm not surprised. Well, of course, I'm surprised that they're second place, but I'm not surprised at the fact that they actually look like a quality side because I've always felt like they've had some really good players and th- their scouting has been a bit interesting. I think they've, they have some contacts based sort of scouting, but nevertheless, they, they do bring in some really good players. And I think those have, have gelled well together this season. Absolutely. And Max, in terms of looking at the numbers, is there anything that has stood out that can explain why they've been able to to have this amazing season? Is it just a case of great recruitment and they've just put 11 good players out each week? Or is there something about the, the system and the, the tactical setup that is allowing them to, to dominate the way they have? The recruitment's been so good that these players are just slotting in and they, they know they know exactly what to do. And I think the, the coaches have trained them well and drilled them well and, and I think they just they play their game and they don't, they don't need to worry about what the other team is doing. They just they just focus on what they need to do. And I think J Roy, one of your favorite J Roy Batistuta, is just last season 
wasn't putting away the goals and I think it's it completely changes the feeling of the team when you, when you know you've got a striker who can put the goals away. Yeah, absolutely. Last week, Casper Pedersback made a really interesting point, which was that Viborg are so well drilled that everyone knows where they're going to be moving. And so you almost, you can play passes into a space because you know someone's going to be running there rather than having to wait for them to, to signal the run. It was a really amazing observation last week because it's something that I've probably seen, but not really been able to pick out. And I guess that's why I'm not, uh, cut out to be a an in-depth football analyst but it, it really helped explain I think why Jeppe Groning in particular is so good at what he does because he he knows around him what the fullbacks are going to do what the wingers are going to do and can just keep playing those patterns we're also going to talk about the league leaders in FC Norgeland and I've said practically every week that this has been a, a bit of a surprise for me because before the start of the season I I thought they might struggle but they have looked like they're going from strength to strength every week. They've got a team absolutely chock full of up and coming talent that is drawing scouts from uh, around the world. Can you tell us a little bit about why you think they have managed to overcome the odds this season and, and why they're runaway leaders? Yeah, I remember you interviewed Shaldrup and he mentioned that they were just getting to know each other last season. And I think just having that settled starting 11 is just really important. And I think there's so much talent across across the pitch. Nuama and Sheldrup are just unbelievable talents. They stretch the game so much and make it so difficult to defend against. I, I was having a look at the starting 11 and they've had the same starting 11 play 15 out of the 17 games. And I think that's really, really helped them. Bashir, I know that you've been watching the Superliga a, a reasonably long time now. Is this the most exciting young team there's ever been in the Superliga? Is that stretching it too far, do you think? I don't know if it's the most exciting, but it's definitely one of the most exciting. Obviously, Max mentioned the point about the fact that some of these players have been at the team for a, a few seasons. And it seems like now they have a bit of more fluidity and familiarity with each other so it's been a really interesting development I think everyone was caught off guard in terms of how well they've, they've been doing this season so yeah it's it's very exciting I've always felt like Norshilan could do more than they looked like they wanted to do but this season they look like they're kind of believing that they can actually be more than just a team that produces young players that can be bought by big teams. No, that makes sense. I, I think one of the things that's really stood out to me this season is just how mature the, the players look. I mean, obviously you have veterans in there like Andreas Hansen that bring maturity, but when you look at how Adamo Nagalo plays or Andreas Sheldrup or Mads Bidstrup, you know, these look like guys who've been in the game for a decade. Uh, and the fact that they're so young and able to play with such calmness on the ball and able to, you know, ride adversity and show a level of consistency that players their age normally don't. I think that combination is just so important. And it also speaks a lot to the ethos at, at Norgeland and at Right to Dream and the, the support they get from management there. They all look like they're just really enjoying playing. I think they just, they have kind of no fear at the moment and they're just going out and want like, they, they feel like they can beat anyone. And I think that really shows with, with, with all of the games I've seen them. They just look so confident and, and know each other so well that they can just rely on each other. And I think that's really helped this season. The, the one thing I've always, in the last couple of seasons, I've always felt like they've struggled with is, is defensively. They've had, I wouldn't say they've been awful defensively, but they've had a tendency to concede a lot of sloppy goals and, and not be solid defensively, at least for a consistent period of time. But 
this season, obviously, it's, it, it really looks like they've just been transformed in that department. So, you know, they have the fewest goals conceded. And and it's it's even when you look at the, the, the amount of chances they concede or the quality of chances they concede, it's not... It's not a crazy overachievement. They're among the the teams that concede the least amount of chances. So I think that's also been quite a revelation. I think last season when they were on the brink of relegation, you know, they brought in Andreas Hansen, they brought in Eric Markson. And I think that was just a sign that we need some experienced heads in here. And I think that the introduction of those guys has really raised the level of everyone around them. And, you know, even a, a player who is attack first, like Villardson, is making a name for himself as the premier right back in the league now, practically. So I think, yeah, it's been a really impressive transformation and not one that I was expecting, but one that I'm very pleased to see bear fruit. Before we move off the subject of Norgeland, there was one thing that kind of stuck out that might not be obvious to people just watching the league casually. So surprisingly, they're the only Superliga team not to have conceded from a header this season. It shows the dominance of the back four, um, especially in Nogalo for me. Just He's so dominant in the air. For me, it was a very surprising stat, but a very interesting one as well. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't know whether they're just doing a really good job of limiting crosses or whether it's a, a case of the crosses that come in, they're, they're handling with a disproportionate effectiveness. But yeah, I was really surprised by that because across the league, it feels like there are a lot of headed goals in the Superliga. We talked a little bit when we were talking about Norgeland about how the fact that they look so confident and this confidence is kind of uh, enabling them every week to go out there and play their game. A team that uh, really look bereft of confidence are Alborg. And I think that they are understandably kind of the biggest underachievers this season. I expected uh, I expected them to be a, a top four team this season. And it's also kind of fallen to pieces a bit. I wonder if you could kind of deconstruct a little bit this, the season so far and perhaps... Uh, tried to come up with some answers for why this has happened because I still scratch my head watching them and I'm and, and wondering how uh, it's all fallen apart like this. Yeah, it's, it's been a really bizarre first half of the season for Alborg. Yeah, sitting 11th, seven points behind Brombu as well. It looks pretty bleak at the moment. Uh, they've lost the last four games in a row. I've kind of put it down to the lack of goals. So they've scored the least amount of goals in the league and their expected goals. So they've scored less goals than their, their expected goals. And then they've also conceded the second most goals in, in the Superliga as well. Luca Pripp looks like a completely different player to last from last season. And uh, Ivor Fossum as well. So I think they're really, they're really struggling for goals this season. Um, uh, and I think those two not being in form has really, really put them in bad place, to be honest. Yeah, Bashir, were you expecting big things for, for Alborg this season? I don't know about big things, but I, I felt like they were one of those teams that maybe could surprise this season um, mm. in a positive way. I felt like they were—they looked like they had a sort of a solid team, and and they they do have a pedigree. They have a history in the Super League, so I didn't expect them to to fall off a cliff that they've done. I, I was certainly surprised, definitely. Yeah, one thing that really stuck out to me so far this season is that they're they're the second lowest possession team in the league. Only Horsens have had less possession and they don't strike me in terms of the the squad makeup as a a team that is well suited to counter-attacking football that that they have lots of um slow technically good build-up players i guess alan souza and um uh eunice back is have a bit of pace but 
that they certainly don't have a speedy number nine to, to kind of spearhead those counterattacks. So it does strike me that that's something that they're going to have to change and they're going to have to get on the ball a little bit more so they can be a bit methodical in their, a bit more methodical in their build-up. Yeah, and I think overall just they need to unlock the, their key players. Having more possession or less possession is always a debate. People have different opinions on what makes sense or what's effective. But if you don't have a way or if you don't have a, a stylistic way of, of unlocking your key players or the players that are important for you in the offensive phase then it will always look bad you know all those metrics will look bad yeah i don't sit one way or the other on the high possession versus low possession but i know that if you're at one of the extremes there generally has to be a good reason for that um, or there has to be a something in your tactical plan that, that suggests that that's deliberate and with Alborg, I'm, I'm not convinced that that's the case. They're struggling just, the, the creativity for me has, has been really poor. Uh, just creating opportunities when they've had the possession, they've just not really done anything with it. As you were saying with Alan Souza, I, I was expecting a bit more from him this season. This might be controversial, but I feel like Souza has actually delivered more than I was expecting this season. It, it, I mean, based on last season at Vila, where he was, he was really underwhelming. I feel like he's been the main man for them, whereas Ivor Fossum and Lucas Anderson perhaps have have really kind of not hit the levels that we saw last season from them. But I, I get the feeling that there's going to be some new signings in the attacking positions just because they can't carry on with this kind of run. Were there any other things that stuck out to you across the whole league? Well, yeah, I would say generally Wanby sitting, what is it, third third bottom of the league? Yeah. It's definitely yeah. quite a quite an interesting takeaway. I mean, we've played 17 games so far, so there's there's a significant sample size, I would say. And even though they've had a tendency in in recent seasons to kind of do well towards the end of the season and kind of go on a run, or whatever, it's still a surprise, you know, that they haven't found continuity. They kind of seem very up and down. They they score a fair amount of goals, but they also concede a lot of goals. They've conceded the most goals in the se- in in the league this season for a team of that size you know it's it's not what you expect it's hard to kind of fathom why that's the case because they've got one of the best young goalkeepers they've got experienced central defender in Andreas Maxo and some decent holding players in midfield so it's hard to understand why they've conceded so many to be honest with you they've been an absolute shock for me I think with the signing of Valleys and um, Ohi, I thought they were going to have a really good start to the season. It's, it's kind of surprised me. They've con- conceded 28 goals, which is on par with Albor as well. But I'm after a good long winter break and a new manager, I think they should be on the rise soon. Yeah, the funny thing for me, just looking at some of the numbers, was that if you didn't know where they were in the league, you would see that they were top of successful tackles per match, top of possession one in the final third per match. So, you know, they're pressing effectively high up the pitch. They're uh, they're making successful tackles. So you'd have thought that sounds like quite a defensively robust team. And in fact, as you rightly point out there, They've conceded 28. So, yeah, it's hard to look at the numbers and, and draw definitive conclusions sometimes. But, yeah, certainly puzzling. So, yeah, we touched on there how Bromby were actually being quite effective pressing in the final third. And there is no better subject to hand over to Bashir than a little analysis on pressing across the whole league in the first half of the season. I know it's a, it's a subject that has become... Uh, very popular with the advent of uh, Jurgen Klopp and Gegen Pressing. And it's something that fans of, of teams everywhere kind of look for as a, a sign that the players are up for it and playing with a level of intensity. So yeah, Bashir, what have you kind of noticed looking at the, the pressing numbers? As you mentioned, pressing has been a very interesting uh, topic 
And I think the Super League is not really an exception to that. There is maybe this kind of myth, uh, perhaps, that teams that press really well and high up the pitch are kind of automatically considered to be successful teams. But you mentioned earlier a little bit about Buenby, and, and they're actually a team that work very hard off the ball, very intense team. And that's reflected in the in the pressing stats. So I've looked at a couple of metrics through Scout. one metric being challenge intensity, which is basically capturing the amount of defensive actions a team makes per minute of the opposition having the ball. It, it tells a little bit about how aggressive they are in, in their press. And then the other metric being passes per defensive action allowed, which is basically how many passes do you allow the opposition before you make a successful defensive action? So it, it tells you a little bit about the efficiency of your pressing. The first one tells a bit more about the intensity and then the second being the efficiency. And this season, Hornby are actually topping both of the metrics. So they're very intense in their pressing. They make about 6.3 defensive actions per minute of the of the opposition having the ball. And they only allow nine passes for the opposition before they they make a successful defensive action. They've been quite successful in their pressing, but <laughs> seemingly that hasn't really reflected in the table at least. So that's that's definitely one very, very interesting takeaway. Uh, Kribben Haun is up there. Anas is up there as well in terms of intensity and preventing the team from having a lot of passes. When I think of teams who are very effective at, at pressing, Ghana's were certainly last season really, really good at that and have sort of continued uh, in, in a similar vein this season. Yeah, I think they've actually been a, a pressing team for a good two, three seasons now. They, they've kind of implemented that as part of their tactics, if, if you will. And it's been part of the reason as to why they've done so well and been so solid in the past couple of seasons, I would say definitely their pressing game is, is, is up there. And they utilize that to make some good counter-attacking moves and so forth. And another very interesting takeaway, and it's always interesting to look at Silgabal, they're actually a team that don't press at all. They don't even bother. So they allow the most passes for the opposition before they make a successful defensive action. And they're the least intense uh, team. Oh, sorry, the second least intense team. Vibor is the, is the least intense team. So they have a lot of possession, right? They're a possession-based team. They play a very specific style. They like to have the ball a lot. But when they lose the ball, they're not really adamant on recovering it too quick, which is an interesting discussion to have, right? You could ask the question, if, if they were pressing more, would they maybe even be more lethal or done even better than they've done in the past couple of two seasons? They've overachieved, but perhaps they could have done even better if... Yeah, I wonder if that may be why they've been able to maintain their position in the top six whilst playing in Europe with, you know, a relatively small squad. I, I know that they made some additions, but relatively small uh, compared to the likes of um, FC Co or, or Bombi. And yeah, maybe that plays into it. But but also, I think the fact they have so much of the ball means that the, the opposition are probably wearing themselves out a little bit, pressing them. So that's definitely a really interesting observation. Another interesting takeaway is obviously Vibor. They're sitting second in, in, in the league. When you look at their pressing stats, they're not really a pressing team. So they allow almost 15 passes for the opposition before they make a successful tackle in the final third. And uh, in terms of intensity, they're the least intense team. So they make the least amount of defensive actions per minute of the opponent having the ball. So it's it's always interesting to look at these metrics to kind of see whether there's a correlation between the success of a team or, let's say, the unsuccessful uh, season or campaign of a particular team. And looking at this, these statistics, Ponby being the team with the highest pressing stats, yet they're third bottom in the league. And then you look at Vibol, who have 
some of the lowest pressing stats and they're look and they're sitting comfortably second so i think maybe yeah. that challenges some of those myths definitely and i think that knowing how important metrics are to vboard that this won't be a surprise to them so i think that it's really interesting that they will know this and continue to play their game very successfully and they've got they've got the second best uh, defense in the league as well so it's a really interesting um idea whether uh, this this idea of repressing and whether it's actually worthwhile for some teams i think sometimes as my five-a-side team can attest to sometimes uh, positioning and knowing where to be can save you a lot of need to press <laughs> when your fitness is uh, lacking like mine is it's uh that that can that can be a helpful way to do it so i i don't remember paolo maldini pressing too hard so um i've got france australia on in the background just seeing uh friend of the pod a1 mobile coming off the bench for australia so um wow big moment for him playing in a world cup having yeah. scored the winning penalty to to get them there yeah that's time shout time. out awa <laughs> yeah keep doing your thing um cool so i think that wraps up part one when we come back for part two we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about individual players and just pulling out a few who've caught our eye some obvious some less obvious and kind of deconstructing their seasons a little bit through some of the numbers. So we'll take a short break now and we'll be back after this. We've all spent so much time playing the classic board games from Monopoly to Cluedo, but when was the last time you played a new board game with the same level of entertainment and craft? Look no further than Pundit, the quintessential football trivia game. And I can tell you from personal experience, it is incredibly fun to play. But not only that, it's been designed to be aesthetically pleasing on your coffee table with a beautiful design ethos that really sets it apart from anything else I've seen out there. On top of that, it's a great independent company that was set up by two guys with a love for football. Not some big company looking to cash in on football fans at Christmas, but a couple of guys who are real football fans who wanted to create the sort of game that they wanted to play themselves. Treat yourself or a big football fan you know to a set of Pundit by heading to punditgames.co.uk if you're in the UK or punditgames.dk in Denmark and use the promo code DANISH to get yourself a tasty discount. Welcome back to part two. We are going to talk now about specific players, and we've got a smorgasbord of interesting players to touch on. And we're going to go like a traditional formation. We're going to start the keepers and move our way to the front of the pitch. So starting in goal, Bashir, would you like to talk about a specific goalkeeper who has caught your eye this season? Yeah, I've picked um, Andreas Hansen from Norshillen, and I've picked him uh, for several reasons. I think we spoke a little bit about it earlier. His experience and his presence in that back five has been quite influential, quite impactful for how well Notion have done this season. And when you actually look at some of the statistics, there's also an indication that he's been quite important in terms of keeping clean sheets and preventing goals. There's a there's a metric called goals prevented, which is kind of related to expected goals. So essentially you look at how many goals was the team expected or the opposition is expected to score and how much of those, let's say, missed chances can be uh, attributed to the keeper. And Andreas Hansen is, is up there um, with 5.4 goals prevented this season. It's quite a significant amount. And beyond the goals as well, I think I think it's been something that Notion have been missing in the last couple of seasons. 
Um, they've had experienced players in the back line and in a couple of other positions, but the the experience of, of knowing how to see out games, manage games, and kind of just having someone there to marshal the younger players, be an example to them, I think it gives them a level of confidence. He has the joint most clean sheets as well with six in the in the in the league. So there's there's good indication that he's been quite instrumental to the success of Marshall. Absolutely. And Max, you've picked out a goalkeeper who is currently recovering from an injury, but he's been a really integral part to his team this season. So yeah, I've gone for Patrick Kalgren. He's up there with the, the most amount of saves, with 78 saves, 13 more than uh, the next goalkeeper, who uh, Lucas Lynn Pedersen. Going along with um, Bashir's uh, goals prevented, Kalgren is um, actually top of the goals prevented goals prevented with um, 7.5 and he also makes five saves per match which is also top of the leaderboard for that. Yeah it's weird looking at it from a perspective of a casual observer five saves a game doesn't feel like a lot to me it doesn't feel like that would be a number that would top the charts but you know the proof's in the pudding I guess uh, that's what it is but um, yeah I always imagined that it would be a lot higher than that. 3.8 saves per game is uh, the next highest with Lucas Lynn Pedersen and then Matt Delac as well. What's the fewest saves per match out of interest? Kamal Grabara, 2.1, and Andreas Hansen with 2.1 per match. Wow. So I guess that's a sign of a good defence, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> so we were thinking about um, Mad Spitzrup just not letting anyone get through that midfield. So rolling it out from the goalkeeper to the defence now, we're going to talk about a number of different players. Let's start with some fullbacks that have caught the eye of Bashir. Yeah, I've actually been doing a bit of kind of a deep dive into fullback. I've been fascinated with the role of fullbacks in modern football, but specifically in terms of the Superliga. So I've been looking at a, a couple of metrics and um, some of the interesting takeaways. Christian Sørensen is, is quite a common name now. For a Superliga fans, and interestingly, he's still up there in terms of creativity. He's actually by far the most creative fullback in the league. Has the second highest amount of chances created, and he has the highest expected assist, three point eight four. It seems like that's just part of his game now. Like nobody can say that was a um, a fluke or a one season wonder or anything like that. He's he's consistently producing really good creative numbers. Um, another revelation this season has been. Uh, Lupumba Musunda. He has some really good numbers, but uh, some of the interesting things with him uh, that are noticeable is his attacking actions in comparison to other fullbacks is, is really high. Um, alongside Eric Kell from AGF, those two are kind of the most attacking fullbacks, almost kind of like wingbacks. I remember watching Sorensen for V-Ball and in possession, they would almost go to like a three at the back and he would push into midfield and I guess that sort of enabled him to get quite high up the pitch whereas now for FC Co it feels like he's very much part of like a, a, a traditional back four I know he does push up and overlap at times but I don't think he's I, I mean I haven't seen the haven't seen a position map to back this up but it doesn't feel like his average position is as far forward as it was for Viborg I wonder if that uh is going to kind of impact his his creativity kind of um, into the future. Yeah, I was actually going to touch up on that a little bit. Um, I've also been trying to look at how fullbacks kind of affect or say help their team in terms of progressing the ball. And one thing I noticed was that Christian Sørensen was the best ball progressor in the league when it comes to passing. 
So he's very good at helping his team progress the ball forward with his passes. So that doesn't really require a lot of bombing forward. You can do that from deep positions as well. And and at the other um, end of the spectrum, Musunda is the one who's the best in terms of running with the ball on his feet and, and progress, helping his team progress the ball that way. So I think that may be kind of a response to your question a little bit there really interesting to pick up on that and I think Masondo is a guy who certainly I overlooked him in my team of the season um, and a few people called me out on that because he has been fantastic so uh, I'm going to keep a, an extra close eye on his on his dribbling in the second half of the season because I feel like if Horsens have any chance of, of surviving they're going to need him to, to be on the sort of form he, he's been on in this first half of the season to keep Alborg at bay yeah and they're going to struggle to keep him I think next season he was actually the highest in crosses. He does around 5.5 crosses per 90, which was incredible. And his progressive runs, as you were saying, he's just bombing up the field. And his accuracy on his crossing isn't, isn't the highest. But I think he's one of those who's just an outlet and just works so hard getting forward. Been really impressed with that. I can think of another team who wear yellow who are in need of a left back at the moment. So um, <laughs> perhaps he might come onto the radar of a, a certain team from uh, the west side of uh, Copenhagen. I remember Christian Sorensen was strongly rumoured to be a, a, a target at Wombi before he went to FC Co. So they're obviously in the market for that that position. Um, Max, there were a few players that you wanted to talk about. Two of them were in my team of the season. A team of the season so far that I announced on last week's pod. Um, so I'm very pleased to see them make it into, into the list. But yeah, you're going to talk a little bit about Anton Guy and a couple of players at AGF. Yeah, so I've been super impressed with uh, Anton Guy. I've heard that he was apparently used to be a winger and he's only recently just converted to fullback. He's great going forward. He's still working on his defensive side. And as we were saying with the pressing, sometimes he's a bit too quick to jump out of position. And I think that's an area that he um, he lacks a bit in his game. But he, he's already got two assists and five big chances created, which is on par with the likes of Kasper Kusk. Just turning 20, he's, he's, he looks a great prospect. Either him or Jellert will be the Danish national right back in a few years' time. Oof, that's a big shout, but yeah, could, could see it happening. Fantastic. And yeah, he, he he's someone who, who's really impressed me. And I, I think that... Again, losing losing the sporting director, you you wonder are, are these kind of gems still going to be coming through? And you, you would hope so because it's I think it's really important for the Superliga and, and for Vibel to to have this kind of talent pipeline and the ability to kind of showcase it. There was a couple of players at, at AGF you wanted to talk about, and interesting that for a team who haven't really put together an amazing run of form at any point this season, that there's a couple of standout defenders nonetheless. Yeah, I've been really impressed with um, the AGF defence. They have the third best uh, defence in the league uh, behind Norseland and uh, Viborg. So I've been really impressed with Jan Bissek and Thomas Christiansen. They play in a back three, so it allows uh, Bissek to, to drift forward with the ball a bit more. But Christiansen standing at six foot six and Bissek six foot five, their quality in, uh, in aerial duels and they both seem very comfortable on the ball. Well, I think if, if they can keep hold of those two uh, going forward, um, they'll be very, very, very lucky. I think someone, I think, uh, someone, from, uh, someone from Europe will definitely be after these two uh, in the future. 
they've just been so impressive and, and so comfortable on the ball. Yeah, he was at FC Colm and just wonder if they'd maybe had a bit more patience with him. They could use a player like him now, certainly. Yeah, definitely. I think it was uh, uh, that, that seemed like a, they didn't just didn't give him enough time. I think he's probably more comfortable in a, in a back three. So I think any clubs playing with a back three, he's your man. Three caps for Germany under 21. Feels like this is a guy who's just going to be on an upwards trajectory from here, really, judging by his performances. And I think that there's such a reliance on him at AGF. I wonder how he'd do with a, a bit more of an experienced defence around him. I think that would really suit his game and nurture him a bit more going forward. He's still a very young guy and he's showing so much talent this season. So big things to expect from him. Bashir, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Where does a guy like Bissett go next? Do you think he could go straight back to the Bundesliga? Or do you think he, he joins the conveyor belt of talent that go from the Superliga to the Belgian League? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. To be totally honest with you, I've been kind of changing my view on that because sometimes I do watch Bissett and I think he really has almost every single quality that you ask in a modern centre-back. He has the speed, he has the recovery pace, he has the physicality and he's solid on the ball. But then sometimes I do see there's a couple of moments there where he's a bit loses a bit of focus or makes maybe a naive mistake. So I don't know if he's ready for a top team, but I think he could definitely be in a top five league team. Yeah, to be fair, at 21, if there aren't some bits to iron out in your game, you're either a prodigy or your name's William Saliba. Yeah, um, even Saliba makes errors. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cool. Let's uh, take it forward to midfield. And Bashir, I wondered if there were any players uh, in the centre of the park that you thought were, were worthy of comment in that first half of the season. Yeah, I always talk about this player, Mark Plank, because he's probably one of my favourite players. Very aesthetically pleasing player to watch, if, especially if you like to kind of watch central midfielders. Sometimes you look, you watch a player and, and, and you don't really know what his stats look like, but then you see the stats and then you're like, maybe he's even better than I thought he was. And for me, Blank is one of those players. His progressive numbers, like just both in terms of his ability to carry the ball, cover a lot of distance with the ball to his feet, as well as those passes, like those line-breaking passes. He's, he's really up there. He's by far the best ball-progressing midfielder in the league. And it's, it's not even close. So he's definitely always worthy of mention, even though I've mentioned him a lot of times. And then Pedro Ferreira, who joined Obe last summer, I think, last season. And, and he's just a very, very kind of interesting profile. But he's very, very defensively, defensively robust. Um, his numbers in terms of, like, creative numbers are not there, but... He's a very, very reliable defensive midfielder, almost like a marshal in that midfield. Yeah, when I watch him play, he seems to have these kind of like telescopic legs that can just <laughs> reach in and make an interception. He, um, he, he's uh, yeah, a really remarkable player to watch. And you mentioned Mark Brink, and I, I've kind of jokingly referred to him in the past as a Danish Pirlo, but he reminds me a, a little bit of, of him in terms of his style of play. Uh, and also, I think in terms of the fact that He's not a player who you're going to pick in your fantasy football team because he's not. It doesn't get goals and assists, but the work that he does. And you know, I spoke to Kent Nielsen after the game in, in West Ham, and he said losing him from the system was like a really, really big blow for them because he just makes everything tick. He's the oil in the engine. He's the guy who, as you say, brings the ball forward and unlocks that really exciting attack. So he's a yeah. player that, if you're unfamiliar with the league or you've only been watching a little bit, keep an eye out 
for him because he's a really special player. Uh, you you won't see him um, on the on live score uh, popping up for assists and goals, but you will see him at the heart of everything that's good about Silkeborg. Yeah, and you mentioned Kent Nilsson there. I think always of this, but I don't know if this analogy makes sense. But I remember when uh, Maurizio Sarri was came to Chelsea and he brought Jorginho with him because he was basically adamant that if his system was going to work, he needed him. Like he was instrumental to. Him. I always see like. I always see the kind of comparisons there. Like without playing, Ken Nilsson's system wouldn't work. Kind of situation. Absolutely, I think that's a. I think that's a really great analogy, actually. Um, and yeah, just just waiting for Kent Nielsen to to turn up at Man City after Pep and um, make Mark Brink his first signing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Max, were, were there a couple of players in the center of the park you wanted to to throw into the mix? Yeah, so I think these. Uh, I'm, I was gonna go. I was going for the kind of underrated. Don't always get the glory. I've gone with uh, Jeppe Grunning and uh, Jeppe Tverskov from OB. Both captains of their sides. Both CDMs. Uh, my favorite position. I just think both of them do such a great job at shielding the defense. Tverskov. He's got three player of the matches. Uh, he's got the most interceptions. He's got around eight defensive duels uh, per match. Uh, Jeppe Gronings around the same with 8.43 defensive duels. So these two are top and second for interceptions. And I think they're both just very underrated and do such an important job for both of their teams. Yeah, and Sevakov was playing at at centre-back for a number of times last season. And it feels like... They weren't quite decided this season and have tried him in midfield and he looks definitely like that's his position rather than centre-back. I know he's a big guy, he's over six foot, so it kind of I can see the appeal of playing him there. But what is it about him that you think that kind of like lends his skill set to midfield rather than centre-back? I've just seen this season that he's uh, very quick out, quick to get out to, to players to um, break up play. And I think sometimes I think he I think he's probably learnt his craft on when to to um, when to come out and press and tackle from being a centre back. You have that overview of the game as a centre back, um, and I think he's just learnt a different side of his game. And I think he's getting in better positions, starting positions, which you can see that he's got a great reading of the game. And you you'll see the opposition going to attack, and he's just breaking down uh, the attack straight away and. I've been really impressed with that when I've seen him. To round things off, we're gonna we're gonna go towards the the top of the pitch, and Bashir has a player who is probably the player I get asked most about from people who are kind of have a passing interest in the league because I think that he's destined for great things. Bashir, tell us a little bit about Andreas Sheldrup and why he's impressed you so much. I think this season, like the most interesting takeaway is the fact that he's he's added a bit more to his game in terms of scoring. He has 10 goals in the league this season and he's actually overachieving quite significantly on expected goals. So there's something to say there about his effectivity and we already know how good he is on the ball and his ability to take on his man and create chances. I knew he was really good. I knew he was a very, very talented player but I thought he probably needs bit more time because he's he's maybe one of those profile of players that kind of needs to grow into their body and needs to develop a bit of physicality but this season he's really shown a lot of brightness been really impressed by him obviously uh he's he's been producing at a super high level but also i think that 
it's the little parts of his game that you realize just how impressive he is. It's the it's the shoulder checks. It's the the little touch to set up a better angle on the shot. It's the first touch that prevents the need for a second touch. And it's, it's all these micro actions that maybe get missed when you're just kind of watching casually, but they all add up to elevate his game to a, a level that I think few can match in the Superliga. Yeah, and the mentality as well, I think, for his age. I mean, he doesn't look like he's phased. He doesn't look like he's scared or nervous to be to be playing amongst men, to be real. I mean, some of the players that he's coming up against are much older than him, right? So, And then obviously, yeah. whenever he takes a penalty, he does that, that ice-cold Jorginho, Bruno Fernandes penalty. So it's, it's always nice to see players with flair and, and, and personality. I think that that's a, a really great shout of how calm and collected he is. Um, the fact that he's able to not just score the penalties, but actually fake the keeper out and stick with a particular style. A player you mentioned earlier, Jorginho, has this very unique penalty style, but you always get the sense that he's a, a confident stepping up. And I think Sheldrup is, is much the same. Max, have you been impressed by Sheldrup this season? Yeah, for me, uh, his uh, unpredictability in uh, one one v offensive duels has just really stood out to me. He's got a tremendous balance and you never know which foot he's going to drift onto and he shifts the ball so quickly over. And I think his finishing has just really improved this season. He's just so lethal when, when he gets in those, when he isolates the defender one-on-one. Even when it's two-on-one as well, I've seen him just drop his shoulder and and strike. He's so deadly in those situations. Just been so impressed with him. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that when you when you throw him in the mix alongside Ernest Nwama, defences don't know which way to go. So, <laughs> yeah, really, really impressed by him. And I very much hope we get another six months of being able to watch him in the league before he's inevitably snapped up by someone big time. <laughs> I would hate to be playing against those two. Someone else who I'd hate to be playing against at the moment because they they seem to have everything to their skill set is a young player from Odense. Tell us a bit more about Minte. He, he very much reminds me of Ernest Nuama. Like he's just absolutely rapid. When he gets going, he's just unbelievably difficult to play against. He's only made seven appearances so far and he's got three assists and two goals. His XG is uh, 0.99, so he's scoring more than his... Um, expected goals. He has about 17 offensive duels per 90, which is probably a sad thought for many um, Super League defenders. Um, <laughs> and he's he's just really impressed me with how direct he is. And his turn of pace is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I think that Minte is him and Jabali, almost like the, the fire and ice combination. Um, like they both offer something completely different, but at the same time, a complete dual threat for Odense and I think that that combination is, has been like part of why they're competing for a top six spot now um, after a bit of a ropey start. Yeah I definitely think they could sneak in if they can fit, uh, keep um, Minte and Jabali fit I think they can definitely sneak into that top six. Absolutely and then a more traditional number nine we've talked a little bit about him already he's the uh, second top scorer this season uh, J. Roy Grot for Viborg has just been a phenomenon this season previously a winger he'll be known to fans of Leeds United for a, a spell at the club there yeah talk a little bit about, about his rise to prominence this season. So yeah I think this season he's just conversing more of his chances last year he he topped 
big chances misses missed sorry and this season he's just been a bit more consistent his fi- his finishing I wouldn't say it's the the greatest but it's the the fact that he's getting into these positions and it's often a tap in for him his strength as well and he against Brombo he was just so dominant against the back four and uh, he's very difficult to play against and I think I think that's uh it's it's really I'm really glad that he's um started playing uh, a bit uh, as a number nine and he he seems to have hit some great form and I hope that continues I just worry that if he if he gets injured I don't know who's stepping in as uh Lehmans is their second top scorer with three goals so I don't know where else the goals are coming from um if he gets injured yeah he's um he's quite a, an imposing physical presence i've walked past him in the in the mix zone at um Norgeland Viborg earlier this season and yeah he's just uh, an absolute hulk um before we wrap up i just wondered do either of you have a player in mind who if there's a, a scout listening to this a, a player who wouldn't be on one of these scouts radars but you feel is worthy of a mention to be a, a first mover on perhaps yeah actually I've really admired this player. I found him to be a really interesting player. Um, Sofus Berth in Vibor. He struggled in the last couple of seasons with, with game time and kind of finding his foot. Although he's still only 19, right? So maybe in today's day and age, we kind of forget that this is not a normality for youngsters. They just burst into the scene at that age. His technical ability, his ability in, in tight spaces is, is up there really. And I don't think you can just lose that. So I think if anyone's watching and thinking about players that maybe are not noticed, perhaps watch out for him in maybe the next couple of seasons. I think, I think there's a player there. Another reason to watch Viborg, as if we needed one. And Max, I, I know you don't want to give the game away too much, uh, moving in the scouting circles, but is there anyone that you think uh, is worthy of a look? So yeah, this is an area that I focus a lot of my attention on and uh, I've got a couple of players. I have written some other uh, pieces on some uh, under-19 players that I think are going to break out soon. I've got uh, Gustav Christensen from FC Mitchelland. He is primarily a centre-forward but can also play on um, on the left wing. Um, he's top scorer of the under-19s league. He's got 15 goals and two assists in 11 games. He's already actually made an appearance in the cup and he's he actually scored in that, in that appearance. And he also um, made his Europa League debut um, against Sturm Graz as well. So he's he's a player I think could break in uh, in the second half of the season. They do need a, a centre forward. So I think he might be given the, the opportunity to um, step up if they don't sign, sign anyone. That's a, a new name to me, which is uh, always exciting. So um, one of the great things about watching the Superliga is seeing these players who, who go on to, to bigger and, and uh, I say bigger and better things. I mean, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, the stature of the clubs they move to. But it's always exciting, whether it's a Lindstrom or a Jonas Wynn, seeing these guys apply their trade in the, in the domestic league before they get snapped up elsewhere. So, yeah, thank you for, for adding that name to the list. And uh, was there... You said there was one more? Yeah, if I if I can sneak in um, Alexander Simulhak, he's a player that might be known by um, some Copenhagen fans. He was actually si- signed from Runners uh, in the summer. He's just turned 17 and he's six foot three. He's a centre forward. Uh, so he's got eight goals and one assist in his 12 uh, under eight, under 19s games. He actually made his uh, Danish under under 18s debut um, 
a couple of days ago against Ireland and he scored. So I think he's a he's one to watch out for. Great in the air and he's actually pretty quick for for a big lad, six foot three at seventeen. <laughs> wow, yeah. I constantly tell my son that it, he needs to go to bed on time if he wants to grow big and strong. This guy must have been going to bed about 6 p.m. every night. I think his, uh, his parents Slightly. have been stretching him out every day. <laughs> yeah, you, you wonder if he um, if he adds a bit more to that. He could be like uh, a mentor at Alborg, who's absolutely huge. I, don't, I think he's six foot eight, six foot seven, something like that. He's, absolutely massive and uh yeah he, he actually he's a player who i feel like the, in the first couple of games that i saw him this season i thought oh, this guy's going to be a real handful and it, it he didn't maybe it was that he didn't score and his confidence went down and then he got dropped but um he looked certainly from a from a, a physical and a movement perspective like he could be uh, an interesting player so there's one from me to to keep an eye out for it i'll be heading over to alborg for the first game back after this break. So I'm looking forward to seeing if Eric Hamron can get a tune out of them as they play AGF and watching some of those players that we've talked about today on top of a, a few other games. So I'm very much excited for that. But I think we're going to call time on today's deep dive into into the kind of scouting and analytics side of the Superliga. Uh, Bashir, Max, thank you so much for coming on the pod, making your debuts. Um, I hope it wasn't as difficult as you, you thought it might have been. And yeah, really, really enjoyed hearing your thoughts and, and thank you for the uh, thank you for sharing all of the work that you do with the Danish Dynamite listeners. Thank you for having me on. Man. Yeah, thank it's you very much. I appreciate that. I'm really a massive fan of your work and I've uh, really appreciate you asking us on here. Thank you. Uh, man, it's, it's a huge pleasure. Um, and uh, where can people find you and your work Um uh on social media and on uh online yeah so i'm mostly on twitter i haven't been too active lately but i'm gonna start writing a bit more um going forward so my twitter is Bashir ftbl and um and mine's just uh max graves 91 and it's uh on twitter as well i've written a couple of articles so i'd love to uh, on uh, Danish Superliga uh, ones to watch. So I'd love to hear some feedback and um, I'm hoping to go over to Denmark at, in the second half of the season. So I'd love to to meet some some people out there. Great. So yeah, give these guys a follow. They're, they're putting out really great work, which is uh, why I invited them on here. And yeah, um, look forward to, to catching you next time. I've got one more special podcast planned before the end of the year, hopefully. Uh, so watch this space for that cheers guys and look forward to speaking to you next time on the danish dynamite podcast